Every community has a character. Uh, it is defined by how it interacts uh, within itself and how it interacts with the world outside of it. And that's true of all institutions, schools, sports teams, businesses, families, clubs, you name it. Uh, every group of people can be defined in some way and behaves in some way. Uh, the way it operates, certain rules perhaps that it follows, spoken or unspoken. Uh, and the church is not so different. Uh, Christianity has its uh, own unique culture, and churches may vary in style from place to place. Uh, but there are some things that should mark all Christian communities. Uh, there are things that are specific to Christian groups simply because they are Christian. Uh, they are not rules that you have to follow in order to get into the club uh, or pass the test, per se. Uh, but there are ways that the community of believers are marked out from the world. Our passage this morning is one of the many passages in the Bible that speak to how Christians should live together in a community. Uh, so go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6, we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses there. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided underneath the chairs, you can find our, pa our passage on page 975. Page 975. Oh, we've made it to now the final chapter in the letter of Galatians uh, in our study. And Paul has moved from theological explanations and arguments, uh, even rebukes early on, uh, to now final exhortations to his audience. Uh, the most important thing to know going into chapter 6 is that Christians are to live differently from the rest of the world. Uh, they're to be distinct. Uh, they're to pursue loving one another, displaying the fruits of the Spirit as a result of their salvation in Christ. Uh, Paul's exhorted the Galatians to live as they are free a number of times throughout the book. Uh, and that's in response to Jews that are requiring them to submit to the Mosaic law. Paul says, no, you don't have to do that. If you have been saved by grace in Christ, you are free. But he warns that doesn't mean that you can just indulge yourself, give yourself over to all of your desires. Uh, that's what theologians sometimes call antinomianism. Uh, that, that is not what Paul is getting at. So he explains towards the end of chapter 5 uh, what general traits should characterize a spirit-filled person. Uh, and that's where we have the list of the fruits of the Spirit. Generally, someone who has the Spirit uh, should exemplify those fruits in their life. Well, now, if that's kind of what the individual uh, should look like, uh, what about a community of Spirit-filled people? Uh, what will that community look like, a community of freed people? Oh, that's basically what Paul is turning to to address next in chapter 6. Uh, it's a continuation of Paul explaining this kind of spirit-filled community. So he exhorts the churches in Galatia uh, with a number of applications for their lives together. Uh, we shouldn't isolate chapter 6 either from the two verses that come before it, 525 and 26. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. With these things in mind, let's read our passage now. 
Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Paul says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. But whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. Uh, So you might have noticed that Paul's writing style has shifted a little bit. It is less systematic than it is towards the beginning of the letter or in other of his writings. It's more free-flowing. After instructing the Galatians to live according to the gospel that has saved them, he gives a number of helpful encouragements that I believe we can pretty much just copy and paste into our own lives today. Uh, they're universal applications that should mark Christians no matter where they gather, regardless of age, culture, background, ethnicity, or social class. Christians are called to live a certain way because all Christians have come to recognize uh, their own sin and trust in Christ. Uh, Christians by the Spirit have been uh, um, uh, confronted with God's holiness, His perfect standard, and realized how short we fall of that. Uh, The Spirit's work convicts us to see the nature of our own sin, and we realize in our hopelessness uh, that our only chance at forgiveness or acceptance by God is not by our own merit, uh, but on Christ's perfection. Uh, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, lived a perfect life on earth, died the death that we should have died as a sacrifice on our behalf, uh, so that those who put their trust in His death and His resurrection, uh, therefore, are credited with His obedience and His righteousness, uh, who submit themselves to the Lordship of Christ, uh, God on Judgment Day will not see our sin, but Christ's righteousness cover us. That truth, that good news of the gospel uh, is then what motivates us to love others uh, because we have been loved by God. He has left us His Spirit, which then generates the fruit of the Spirit. And it's with all uh, that in mind, or it's those things that then lead to this kind of community that Paul is speaking of. And if I were just to summarize Uh, All of this passage, it's not easy to just provide a kind of blanket over all these exhortations, but if I were to summarize it, I would say this. Uh, Christians are to take sin seriously and do good to one another. Christians are to take sin seriously and do good to one another. Uh, And those are going to be my two points for you this morning. And my prayer is that Paul's encouragements 
will help you evaluate your own walk with Christ and how you relate to others in the church. Uh, So first category in this passage that marks Christian community uh, is that it takes sin seriously. Takes sin seriously. A community that doesn't take sin seriously will not be able to do any of the things that Paul's encouraging the Galatians to do in these verses. Because sin is just a reality of life. Ever since the fall of mankind in the garden, humanity has been cursed. Sin pervades all of life. Paul's already made it very clear that to be a Christian does not mean that sin just ceases to exist in our life. He said in chapter 5, Uh, that the works of the flesh are opposed to the Spirit. So we should expect uh, to battle and struggle with sin. But praise God in Christ, our sin does not condemn us uh, if we are repenting and believing in Him. But we still have to deal with it uh, in a community, don't we? Uh, I have always called original sin uh, the the easiest and most obvious doctrine. Uh, There is sin inside of each one of us. Anyone who denies that, I think, is kidding themselves. Uh, You don't have to look very far into the world. Uh, We live, it seems, in a day and age in which uh, a sports team can't celebrate uh, a national championship without a tragic event happening. We look inside our own hearts and see selfishness spring up. Uh, Those of us who have kids know it takes a lot of work uh, to train good behavior. Uh, but not uh, any work at all for them to act in evil and selfish ways. It just appears to be hardwired into everyone. Well, I want to show you three ways Paul encourages us uh, to take sin seriously in this passage. Uh, First is, by the way, believers are to handle someone who is caught uh, in any transgression in verse 1. He says that if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So somebody's caught in sin, we should do something about it. Not just ignore it or look the other way. Uh, We are not to pretend that we didn't see anything, nor are we to go around and gossip with others about it. Paul's very specific. We should restore that person uh, in gentleness. Uh, the, the word caught here that Paul is using sounds to us maybe that he means, you know, someone is caught in the act, like you're caught red-handed. Uh, and, of course, the word could mean that. But more, more likely than that, uh, he's talking about someone who is trapped or overtaken by sin. They're, they're caught in a snare, uh, unable to escape, uh, unable to move forward. Um, that, of course, would be perhaps the case if someone were caught in the act. Uh, or at least sin was discovered by inquisition or confession uh, or of some kind. But either case, sin is hurting their life, their relationships, or maybe it's just eating away at that person from the inside. Uh, whatever the case, when someone is caught in transgression, uh, we who are spiritual should come alongside them and seek to restore them in gentleness. Uh, by the way, when Paul says, we who, you who are spiritual, that doesn't mean that You know, there's some super spiritual people in the church that alone go and do this job. Uh, He's referring to all Christians as spirit-filled people in contrast to the world. Uh, Therefore, this is something that every Christian is called to do. 
Uh, Jesus also instructed his disciples uh, about how to address sin against one another in Matthew 18. Um, This process that Jesus lays out is often referred to when talking about church discipline. He says, if one person sins against you, go and tell them the fault alone. And if he repents, uh, you have gained your brother. And I would say that 95% of church discipline happens right there in that first step. It's a completely made-up statistic that I made up just now. Uh, But the point is that the Christian community should just be actively doing this on its own individually. Uh, And in most cases, spirit-filled people, uh, when confronted or corrected, uh, will hopefully in humility uh, seek reconciliation and forgiveness for that. Uh, Jesus does then add another step in which two or three others come as witnesses to plead with someone. Uh, And that can happen as well in the church. Uh, But the point is that the community of believers are are ones that hold each other accountable and show a concern for sin and a desire to restore someone who is caught inside of it. Right after that section uh, in Matthew 18 where Jesus instructs them about this, Peter then asks, how many times are we to forgive someone? Seven times. You know, that symbolic number, which basically just means uh, always. And Jesus says, 77 times, Peter. (laughs) Uh, Communicating that uh, always. Uh, When someone is repentant, we are always to forgive. There's never a time that we shouldn't forgive someone who is repentant. Uh, And that's what I think it means to restore someone in gentleness. That word restore is also interesting. Uh, it is used to describe things like realigning a broken bone or mending a fishing net, uh, reinforcing a wall. It's restoring vitality and integrity of the thing, which I think indicates the freedom that comes with confession and forgiveness. A sin holds power over someone if it is left unconfessed. But when it's brought into the light and forgiven, it loses its power over you. We can only do that for each other uh, if we are aware of the sin in each other's life. Uh, So let me just take this opportunity to encourage you uh, to make a practice of regularly confessing sins to God and to others. Uh, We try to model this in our service with our prayers of confession, uh, where the prayer is uh, pretty much only confessing things to God. Uh, Because confessing sin produces humility in our hearts. Uh, It's not enjoyable, uh, but it produces humility and accountability. It it reminds us of the gospel as it forces us to face the reality that we are sinners saved by grace alone through faith alone, that no amount of our own efforts will change that. Confessing sin also opens yourself up to receiving encouragement from God's word. We have the promise in Christ that if we confess our sins, we know We can trust without a doubt that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. So brothers and sisters, make make a practice of confessing uh, sins with your spouse, uh, with a close friend in the church of the same sex, Uh, parents especially. uh, It's important uh, to confess sins or acknowledge your sins in front of your kids. Uh, Let them know that you are aware of your own faults. (laughs) They will see your faults, clearly. Uh, 
but it's a powerful thing for them to observe you acknowledge your own faults and direct them towards the gospel in the process. Uh, It's an opportunity to teach them about God's love towards us. Uh, Let's not pretend to be something we're not. We should work to free each other from sin and uh, keep watch in our own lives. That's, I think, the second thing or the second uh, way that Paul says we can take sin seriously in the community. Exercise humility and examine yourself. Be vigilant. Notice what he says at the end of verse 1. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Confessing sins is to the benefit of the person listening as well. When you hear of someone else's struggles, it reminds uh, us that sin is dangerous. Sin is deadly. It destroys. I'm reminded that the devil looks for footholds in your life. And if you're not careful, he'll find them. So we should be on guard in our own lives. There's always a danger, I think, of someone who is on the receiving end of Uh, of confession or simply accountability, helping someone walk through their sin, uh, that that other person uh, be tempted by the same kind of sin, just the exposure uh, itself. Uh, When I was in high school, uh, I was a lifeguard for a number of years, and one of the things that they stress to you uh, if someone is drowning is to be very careful uh, when you're swimming out to save them because when someone is drowning, they're frantically grabbing whatever they can, uh, gasping for air. And what will often happen uh, if you don't approach them correctly uh, is they will climb all over you and prevent you the ability to swim and actually save them. Uh, The chances are they'll drag you down (laughs) with them. Uh, So you have to be mindful of that. Uh, Approach carefully uh, so that uh, you save the person who is drowning. And I think there's a similar application for us uh, as believers to examine and guard our own lives. Uh, if we are to help the other person. Uh, There's a danger we might fall into the same kind of sin. So I think what Paul is warning against here is a kind of holier-than-thou attitude in response. Uh, The danger for us as Christians is to become prideful. Uh, We think we're better than others who might be caught in a particular kind of snare. Uh, This is what Paul's getting at in verses 3 through 5. He says, if anyone thinks he is something, uh, meaning you think you're better than the other person because maybe you don't struggle with that particular thing, you deceive yourself. Test that your work is not for selfish gain so that your efforts can actually be good and not selfish. Uh, Meaning your boasting is not based on other people's weaknesses. Your boasting is not, I'm much better than that person. Uh, Instead, it is Uh, sincerely about your own humility and trust in God. We should be humble in response to sin, Uh, humble to acknowledge our own sin. Part of restoring others and bearing each other's burdens is recognizing that we're not above being tempted by sin either. By God's grace and the power of His Spirit at work in your heart, uh, you can put sin to death. Uh, you can have victory over sin. Uh, You can't stop sinning completely. Uh, You can't reach a status of perfection. But for particular manifestations or particular struggles, you can overcome them. Uh, I can testify to that in my own life, a victory that I've had over sin struggles. 
If anything, because this sin has been choked out in my life, I'm hypervigilant against it. Uh, and in that kind of hypervigilance, others have made the mistake of thinking I can't sympathize with them uh, because it doesn't appear that I struggle at all in that area. But the reality is I know how dangerous it is uh, being freed from it. Uh, so I am hyper alert. <clears throat> so exercise humility in the way that you think about your, your own sins and others. Uh, Satan will use your pride to expose your weaknesses. Proverbs 16, 18 said, says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Now we should examine ourselves because we know that we will be judged on the final day for how we have lived. Uh, that's what Paul is indicating in verse 5 uh, by saying that each will have to bear his own load. Uh, we're all accountable to God, therefore we should examine ourselves turn over the stones of our hearts where sin might be hiding. Bring it into the light. Uh, third, third thing or third way that we should take sin seriously that Paul mentions in this passage uh, is how we're to help each other. Uh, not only restoring one another in gentleness, uh, but bearing one another's burdens in verse 2. When someone's caught in transgression, it grieves us. Christians can be a comfort and encouragement to each other in the way we help each other think through our weaknesses. To be aware of each other's weaknesses is a form of burden-bearing, just simply having that knowledge. And maybe for you, having the knowledge that someone else knows that you're struggling in a particular way is sharing your burden. It's burden-bearing. We celebrate victories. We endure defeats together. It's amazing that Paul says that in doing this, in bearing one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. He told them in chapter 5, verse 14, that the entire law is fulfilled in the command to love our neighbors, which he says is especially your fellow church member. Meaning one of the requirements of following Jesus is that we love other followers of Jesus. If we don't love others who bear the name of Christ, uh, who have His Spirit, the same Spirit in our hearts, we don't love God. Uh, what does it say about us uh, if we don't love the people that Christ Himself laid His life down for? Brothers and sisters, is your life characterized by this kind of selflessness, uh, this kind of outward-facing kindness and humility towards others? Do you see one of your responsibilities as a Christian as bearing the burdens of your brothers and sisters in the church? Do you give yourself over to comparison of others, uh, like the Pharisee and the tax collector? Do you look at the weakness of others and think to yourself, I'm so glad that I'm not like them. I'm so glad that I don't struggle uh, with that. Or are you reminded that apart from Christ, you are just as guilty before God. Christians are to share the load, to bear it together. I love the, the image that Paul uses to describe the church in 1 Corinthians 12 uh, and in the passage from Romans that we read earlier. He says that we're all members of one body. Each member is different, and that's a strength. It's actually a strength that there is a diversity of gifts. 
Just like the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, or the head to the feet. Now, this means, brothers and sisters, that FBC should be a place, uh, or rather shouldn't be a place, where everyone is the same. Uh, Diversity is good. It's a strength because it's a witness to the unity we have in Christ. And God gives different people different gifts to build the body up. Uh, Thinking about body parts makes this clear, right? The ear can't see what the eye sees. And the mouth, uh, the mouth cannot hear what the ear hears. Different gifts build the body up. Different people, likewise, have different burdens. Some are larger, some are smaller. But notice that Paul is not so much concerned about with what the particular kind of burden is uh, that one carries. So you might be tempted to look on someone who is carrying a bigger burden than you and think you're better off because your burden's not as heavy. And yet one can have a larger burden and do a better job carrying it uh, than your so-called smaller burden. So be mindful, therefore, uh, that the way that we carry burdens is together and with humility examining ourselves uh, for sin that might hide within. Uh, So that's point one. Christians should take sin seriously. Uh, That brings me to the second category, marking a Christian community. Uh, Doing good to one another. Doing good to one another. Uh, This whole passage is summarized by verse 10. Uh, Look at that again with me. It says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Christians are, of course, to do good to everyone, just generally. Jesus taught us to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to turn the other cheek, to make disciples of all nations. And in addition to all of those wonderful things that Christians do for the world, Paul adds that we are to especially do good for those who are of the household of faith, especially other believers, primarily with brothers and sisters that are fellow members of your local church. And again here, Paul is providing a a number of specific examples of how believers are to treat one another in the church. This is not an exhaustive list, of course. Uh, It's worth saying again that Paul Paul has many lists (laughs) in the New Testament. Uh, So here we see some categories and a few examples, uh, but read Scripture widely. Uh, to see more encouragements from him. Uh, Certainly, we do good to one another by bearing each other's burdens, as mentioned in verse 2, and restoring one another in gentleness in verse 1. But we also are to do good to one another by providing practical needs for one another. Uh, And one example that he gives in in this is in verse 6. He says, Let the one who is taught the word Share all good things with the one who teaches. So those receiving the spiritual feeding of the word are to ensure that the one who teaches is not lacking himself in some way. Uh, Paul appears to have a vested concern over this matter because he's mentioned it a number of times in different letters, uh, usually speaking in financial terms. So, for example, in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, he encourages the church by saying, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. 
Uh, interestingly enough, he says uh, this right after warning them uh, not to provide for those who are idle, who are taking advantage of generosity of Christians. He says also in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 1 through 12, that he and Barnabas uh, have earned the right to live on support, uh, even though they don't always. Uh, sometimes Paul is working for himself to provide, uh, but he says that the work they do is worthy to be supported. Uh, the point is this, just as a laborer deserves wages outside the church, so those who labor in teaching the word inside the church do as well. Uh, I can say... Uh, that I'm very grateful for First Baptist Church. Um, And I hope that this is an encouragement uh, to you all, that the Apostle Paul would commend you for supporting me as the pastor, as the regular and primary teacher of the Word. Uh, The reason is because if the church did not provide in this way, uh, then I would have to find a job elsewhere, uh, at least in addition, uh, if not totally, to provide for my family. uh, Because I think the Lord... Uh, calls me to provide for my wife and my kids, uh, first and foremost. Uh, And all too often, it seems, churches either are unable to or they refuse to provide a livable wage. Uh, And sadly, I have uh, brothers, I mean, I've had a friend who who had to leave the ministry uh, because of the financial burden, Uh, uh, just simply not, not uh, not having enough and therefore having to look outside the church for uh, a livable wage. Uh, those who do it bivocationally have their time and energy uh, split, and the church then has to compete uh, with some other employer. Uh, that is not for the spiritual good of believers. Uh, Paul is encouraging them uh, that the best thing spiritually is to be fed and to have someone who is devoted uh, to studying and teaching God's Word week in and week out. Uh, a church that is hungry for God's Word Uh, that knows that God has gifted elders to teach, uh, will be sure to prioritize freeing someone up to devote their energy full-time to it. Uh, Paul's explaining that faithful teaching is an important priority for the church. Uh, You know, we all have ways of of finding the money for the things that are priorities in our life. (laughs) Sometimes those priorities are real necessities, like food, for example, uh, and clothes, Uh, And other times there are things that we think are necessities, like coffee uh, in my life, right? Uh, And numerous other examples. Uh, For a church uh, to sacrifice, uh, to provide for someone to spend their time teaching the Word of God is to set a priority on the preaching uh, and teaching of the Word. I'm encouraged at FBC as uh, just a small church frankly, in an expensive place to live, uh, makes those kinds of sacrifices and appreciates the teaching uh, of the Word of God that way. Uh, I'm encouraged that elders uh, have led the church to budget in a way that allows someone to dedicate all their time uh, to the church uh, and all their energy to the church. Uh, And as a primary teacher, I can just tell you that what, what a joy and a privilege it is to be able to do that. Uh, and to not have to be concerned with going to another place uh, to work for someone else uh, in the evenings or something like that. Rather, to give my, my, my time to the ministry of the Word and to prayer. Uh, the church doesn't just do this financially, but just practically as well. In Acts 6, the first time we see deacons, 
uh, it is because of administrative duties. Uh, so deacons today as well, uh, those who volunteer for the church, uh, they perform administrative tasks. Uh, that then frees me up to think about teaching and uh, David, about teaching and prayer for the members. Uh, uh, what a help and encouragement that is for us. Uh, it's a sacrifice that you all make uh, for, I think, your spiritual good. Uh, notice there is sharing on both ends. Uh, elders and teachers are to share their labor in the word and share with you for your growth, and members are to sacrifice uh, for that spiritual instruction as well. Uh, this is not, by the way, a kind of justification uh, for pastors to demand uh, living a lavish lifestyle. Uh, I don't think that Paul's intention is to say that pastors uh, should be treated like royalty and lavished uh, with wealth among the church. I think it simply means the preaching is vital, it is of crucial importance for the growth of the church. Therefore, Christians should sacrificially give to enable someone to devote their time to it. A look again at verse 6 and just notice the job description of the pastor. It's not to entertain. It's not to do all the ministry for the church. It's not to provide commentary on pop culture or to tickle your ears with a particular political hobby horse. It's to teach the word. It's the word that instructs us how to live, the word that dictates how we live, the word that sanctifies us. This is one of the reasons why we primarily preach what's called expositional sermons here at FBC. There's nothing wrong with the occasional topical sermon, uh, I think, as long as it is true and faithful to Scripture. Uh, but, but we want the regular diet of the church uh, to be... Uh, God's Word speaking to us on its own terms, uh, rather than us using the Bible as a stage to trumpet our own horn. Uh, we want to approach Scripture and submit ourselves to it and let it uh, speak into our lives. Let it challenge us and shape our thinking. Uh, we respond to the Word. We don't make the Word respond to us. So we do the, the hard work of studying to understand what authors like Paul are saying and why, and then once we understand that meaning, we can then apply it to our lives. Christians do good to one another by caring for the needs of others. Acts 2, one of the results of the Holy Spirit's presence among believers there was that they shared all things. No one was lacking. That means we should look for ways to provide for each other uh, for each other's needs, both spiritually and materially, uh, if possible. One example of that in the church is the way members take responsibility to support the ones who labor in teaching. Uh, another way we do good to one another is by living authentically, living authentically or sincerely. Uh, that's, why, that's what Paul is getting at in verses 7 and 8. He says, look, part of your obedience to God is not just doing the tasks for others, but doing it out of love for each other. Uh, it's an exercise of the fruits of the Spirit as you go about bearing one another's burdens. Did you notice that Paul mentions gentleness, uh, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit listed in 5.23? Meaning those who keep in step with the Spirit because they have found freedom in the gospel show the fruit of that freedom in their lives, which then produces communities that do good to one another. 
And in verses 7 and 8, Paul says you can't fake your way through it. I suppose you can try. You might fool other church members. You might fool pastors. uh, But you're not going to fool God. You can't bear each other's burdens while harboring bitterness towards others in your heart. You can't restore in a spirit of gentleness while gossiping around the corner about that person. If you cover up the sin of your heart with the facade of good deeds, God will judge you. It's another warning against arrogance and selfishness. Oh, you can't fake it in the kingdom of God. He will not be mocked on the day of judgment. So, brothers and sisters, doing good to one another begins with reflecting inwardly about our heart posture. It begins with ensuring that you have a right relationship with God first, which should result then in love towards other believers, towards the bride of Christ, and those living by the Spirit will be rewarded with eternal life. For those who only live for themselves, who think themselves better than other sinners, there is wrath and condemnation. There is judgment and fury. Uh, Practically speaking, those who practice works of the flesh, and for those, see chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, those who make a practice of the works of the flesh will only produce more of it. That's what he means when he says, what you sow is what you reap. Uh, This is really just common sense, uh, if you think about it. Uh, The more you give yourself over to the desires of the flesh, the darker your heart is going to become. If you spend five minutes in the morning reading your Bible and then spend four hours on social media, what do you think your mind is going to be consumed by? Probably all the things you've been scrolling through for four hours in a day. If you spend all your time with unbelievers, it's not surprising if you begin thinking like an unbeliever or that your humor then becomes shaped like a non-believer. If you live like you are the center of the universe and not God, you'll sow to your own flesh and you'll reap corruption. So brothers and sisters, don't do that. Don't spend your energy feeding your own selfish desires, but look for ways to serve and to love others. Uh, To live authentically in a Christian community means being honest about your struggles with yourself and others, resisting the flesh, redirecting your heart to be outward focused and not inwardly focused, Uh, something we can do because of the Spirit's work in our lives. Uh, Now, maybe you're you're here this morning, and you're hearing all these things, and you're just thinking, this sounds like hard work. It sounds like a lot uh, of hard work. Or maybe, you know, I have have a hard enough time carrying my own burdens. How am I supposed to help help carry others? Uh, Perhaps you're here and you're discouraged this morning because you feel like you have given a lot uh, to the church, uh, but you don't feel as though you have gotten much back in return. I think that actually can be quite common. But the Lord uses our kindness and encouragement in the lives of others that we don't always see. We don't always see the fruit of our labors right away. Paul has an encouragement for you this morning, if that's you. Look at verse 9. 
He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Here's a promise from one of Christ's own apostles, that your efforts are not in vain. Your efforts are not in vain. God does not waste your love and your sacrifice for others. Even if it feels like you spend and spend and spend and get nothing in return, nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. It reminds me of the farmer that Jesus spoke of in Mark 4. Uh, He said the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seeds on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. It's God that gives the growth. But the farmer does harvest when it does grow and it does produce fruit. Right after that, Jesus then talks about the mustard seed, uh, which is the smallest. Uh, It appears small to our eyes. But when it's matured, he says it's the largest plant in the garden. Uh, The lesson is that God gives the growth, and we don't know how, and sometimes we can't even observe that growth. But we can trust God will use it, and in due season we will reap the harvest. Uh, Those are the key words in this promise due season. Farming is is hard work. Uh, You till the soil, you sow the seed, you hope and trust that when the harvest season comes, the crops will be healthy. Hope and you pray that there's no drought or freezing weather that will kill off the crops. But a farmer does not try to reap the harvest until it's ready. Uh, That would be foolish, uh, and it would be impatient And so too with us, we should not be impatient with the harvest of God if it is not the season to reap. Now, the hard thing for us is we don't know when that season is going to be. And we have to trust God, only He knows. But we can trust, nonetheless, that our labor is not in vain, that if we don't grow weary in doing good, we will reap what we sow. Our efforts will pay off, and that reward will make all the toil and hard labor, worth it. I do think there's an application here for us. If we have been on the receiving end of someone else's kindness, or if a a brother or sister has been an encouragement to you in the way that they live, the example they set, the scripture they point you to, uh, then the Spirit has used their efforts in your life to strengthen your faith. Uh, Praise and thank God for that person in your life. And then tell them that God has used them in your life uh, as an encouragement to them. Uh, Don't hide away that harvest for them to discover later in heaven. Uh, That's going to undoubtedly be a joyful time, will it not? Uh, When we see all of the ways that God has worked in us and through us for the good of His kingdom and for His glory. Uh, But brothers and sisters... Uh, give, give others the joy uh, of being able to see some of that fruit today, uh, if you are able. What an encouragement that can be for others. Now, all of these things happen in a spirit-filled community. Taking sin seriously, uh, yet also doing good to one another, uh, both of which are only possible because of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus who laid his life down so that we could be saved from sin. 
None of us could be restored apart from that. We're reminded, right, in our burden sharing, that none of us can bear our own burdens before God, Uh, that it is only because of Christ's uh, taking our sin and nailing it to the cross that we can be freed from our sin. So in our mutual burden sharing, we're reminded of Christ's sacrifice uh, that builds that bridge in relationship to God. Christ rose and departed from this world, but he left us his spirit to help us live like we are free from sin, to enable us to truly do good to one another, not with selfish motives or only when it's beneficial to us, but because we have been so undeservedly loved ourselves that we long to come alongside one another in love. Brothers and sisters, remember that only the gospel makes gospel community possible. Only belief in Jesus and the work of the Spirit in our hearts produces this kind of harvest. To repeat what Paul says in 525, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, and if you're here and you uh, feel as though uh, you have never actually uh, turned from your sin and put your faith and your trust in Christ, uh, that simply means, faith just means reliance, uh, depended on Christ's death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins and submitted to Him as your Lord, uh, then, friend, don't wait another day in doing that. Tomorrow is not promised. Uh, Therefore, today, if you feel the Spirit's work in your heart, uh, pray to God. Invite the Spirit to make His home in your heart. Uh, Tell Him you long to serve Him as King forever. And then read the Scripture and learn of His promises to you. What does a gospel community look like uh, when it keeps in step with the Spirit? It takes sin seriously and it does good to one another, not as a means of gaining salvation, but as a response to receiving it by grace through Christ. I pray that we would do that well, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a sobering reminder that sin continues to affect our lives but a joyful declaration uh, that you have given us your spirit uh, to care for one another in gentleness, uh, to bear each other's burdens and sorrows, uh, to do good to one another. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to do that well. In the name of Christ, amen.